Darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water from under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land and the gathered waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The, Lord produ the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate day from night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate light from darkness. God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Alrighty. Good morning, Pathway. My name is Ryan, and this morning we're going to continue on in our Genesis series that we just began last week. This morning, obviously enough, I think, we're going to look at the creation story. We just read from day one through to day six, that's verses three to 31. This morning, though, we're only looking at the first three days, verses three to 13. 
Next week is part two of this message, uh, where we'll tackle days four, five and six. Today we're going to look at how God formed the earth. Next week we're going to look at how God filled it. Now kids, it's great that you're with us this morning. Uh, let's get our hands, get hands on th- um, with the theme of creation during this service. Now over here, I have several lumps of nice new Play-Doh that's all just been cut up into smaller sizes because, yes, we're a Dutch church. Um, <laughs> so there's all different colours of Play-Doh over here. There's a bunch of paper plates. The idea, kids, is not to just do tokenistic, mindless playing in church. The idea is to engage in the sermon and think about forming, God forming the earth out of an unsculpted lump of something. God created what we see today. You've got an unformed unsculpted lump of Play-Doh, what I'd like your kids to do is to make something, form something, your favourite thing about creation. Maybe it's your favourite animal. Maybe it's your favourite mountain or, I don't know, something that God created that is your favourite thing. So parents, if you're okay with this, send your kids up. They can get one lump each is the plan because I don't know how much we need, how much we've got. Once it's gone, it's gone. And Marty, you've jumped the gun. The idea is you get a plate as well. So the Play-Doh, can the Play-Doh please stay on the plate? The cleaner, he's a great guy, but he doesn't like Play-Doh getting smooshed into the seats or the carpet. So please try and avoid that. And I'll say this too, if you want it different colours, quietly negotiate with your siblings or people around you. If you want to break off bits and swap colours, that's fine. This Play-Doh is yours. I don't want it back. At the end of the service, I want to see it, but I don't want it back. So, as that's all going on, that's good. It's a good way to engage our kids. Etienne spoke on this, well, a couple, three or four, how long ago? Maybe a month ago. Thinking orange, church life, family life, teaching Christian things, all together. This is a great way we can engage our kids in the service. Looks like there's still some left. Is there kids or even big kids that want to jump in on this? There's still some left. Oh, goes Aria. Oh, we've got another one from at the back. We well, haven't met you before, but go for it. There's a lump of Play-Doh and a plate. Grab it and create something amazing. And at the end of the service, I'll, um, I'll ask for you who are brave enough to come and tell us about your creation that you've formed. I can't see what you've come up with. can't wait to see what you've come up with. All right. Cool. So that's the kids taken care of, and I think that's good. I'm looking forward to this. So... This account of creation, the Bible, Bible passages that Chris just read to us, are probably super familiar to a lot of us here. It is well known and it's taught about often, it's talked about a lot. And this Bible story is a little, can be a little familiar and it loses some of that significance sometimes. So I've read and reread the first chapters of, this, um, of Genesis over and over and over again in preparation for today. And I often found myself wondering, What do you want me to do with this, God? Surely we've heard this all before. What do you want pathway to take from this? What do you want to say through this passage? I can't say that I had a booming voice from heaven uh, clearly answering my questions, but I was reminded that even though it is a familiar passage to many, there is still incredible truths to be discovered or reminded of and understood again. So as we embark on this little two-part journey through Genesis chapter 1, Try to put aside the familiarity of it all and seek to understand it afresh. Allow God to do what he wants to do with it. That is what I'm trusting he will do with me and I'm also trusting he will do that in all of us too. 
To set us up well, though, please allow me to stop and let's pray together. Lord, you are the creator. You made everything from the tiniest microorganism to the millions of galaxies out in space. What power, what awesome, mighty power you have. Help us this morning, God, to understand this story, how you want it to be understood, to see what you want us to see. May you form what you want to form in us. Father, I thank you for the privilege we have to open your word. May we use this time well this morning, all for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. (laughs) To be super clear, straight up, and put the debate to rest as best as I can, I want to tackle something head on and straight away. There are a bunch of different ideas of how the world was created. And a huge part of either of these ideas or these theories is the time spent creating. Do we live on an earth that's thousands of years old or millions of years old? Much of the debate revolves around how we read about the days of creation in the Bible. What does it mean when it says it was evening and morning, the first day, a 24-hour day? Or maybe the days simply represent a period of time. The whole you know, old earth versus young earth debate is a hot one and it can't at least not be mentioned this morning. Straight up though, allow me to say this. We will not settle it here. People like Bible, great, Bible greats like John Calvin, William Henry Thornwell, Augustine, Aquinas and Francis Schaeffer, they all differ in their understanding of this issue. If you're not familiar with those names, those names, they are people in the history books that, uh, as the, in the history books, as theologians and Bible maniacs. These people are just a few who have influenced the Christian faith throughout the centuries and helped us to get a better understanding of the Bible. And they can't agree. I doubt that we here at Pathway, least of all me, would be able to nail this issue once and for all. But we can't not talk about it just for a few minutes. So if we're honest with ourselves, there are problems with both sides of the argument. On one hand, we've got our young earthers, the people who think that the world was created in six 24-hour days and is only thousands of years old, four to six to 10,000 years old. These people tend to stand on a literal interpretation of this passage that Chris just read for us. The Bible says it, the Bible is true and correct, end of story. Which, yes, the Bible is absolutely true. No denying that. But there can be problems with interpreting the Bible like this. For example, how do we explain passages like in 1 Chronicles 16 verse 30 where it says, the earth cannot be moved. Verses like this one can be found throughout the Bible and up until not all that long ago, they were used as biblical truth to support the theory of a stationary earth with the sun and the stars and everything revolving around us. Now, it might sound a little ludicrous now because we know that that's not the case and that the sun revolves around the uh, sorry the earth revolves around the sun. But only 500 or so years ago, it was a widely believed truth that the world stood still. The sun revolved around us. The Bible said so, and not only that, but the people at the time, with a somewhat limited understanding, agreed. Only in the 1500s did this biblical truth uh, come under scrutiny as science developed and more people started to observe the the, the stars and all that thing, they discovered that the world does in fact move. In fact, it moves an awful lot. 
This was a big deal for Bible-believing Christians back in the day, as it kind of suggested that the Bible was actually incorrect, which we know is not the case. The Bible is true and correct. What it really comes down to is interpretation. Do we take the passage from 1 Chronicles literally? Not really. The earth does move. Science proves it. It is flying around the sun at ridiculous speeds. We know that now. But then what do we make of a verse like in 1 Chronicles saying the earth cannot be moved? What do we do with that? If you're interested, look at 1 Chronicles 16 now. Open your Bibles. If you have one with you, look at the top. I'll do it too. So then it makes me give you time to look for as well. 1 Chronicles 16. Alright, so 1 Chronicles 16, you'll see it starts off. The structure is a little different, it just is like narrative, but then you'll see that the, the, the formatting changes and in some Bibles it will be given a heading and you'll actually see that it's a poem or a song. Let me find my notes again. It's a psalm, it's a song. King David appointed Asaph to praise God with these words. Song lyrics convey a message. There are other phrases in this song in 1 Chronicles, you'll see them. It says like, things like, the trees sing, the fields rejoice. We don't take that literally, do we? But rather an expression of emotion and conveying a deeper message. I think the same can be said of the earth cannot be moved phrase. So one hole in the young earth is thinking is that the, is that the literal... Six 24-hour day understanding of creation account in Genesis is that different parts of the Bible are translated differently. Therefore, a literal translation of Genesis, while leading us to believe a literal 24-hour creation day, may not really be the case. All right, I've picked on the young earthers, let's pick on the old earthers. What about the other side of the coin? What about the one, you know, I'll just talk about a couple of flaws in the other side of the debate. The flaw often brought forward with, uh, is the problem of death before the fall, before sin, before suffering, before evil entered the world. How could there be death and suffering? How do we have all these fossils, remember, which are dead animals that are supposedly millions of years old that occurred before humankind and therefore before the fall, before sin entered the world? How does that stack up? Surely death and suffering were not part of life before sin. And then what about the whole humankind being created in the image of God? What do we say about the pre-human humans, you know, like the Neanderthals and stuff, that we find in the fossil record dating back a long time? Were they created in God's image? Or did the early humans only kind of count as animals until they evolved enough to become image bearers of God? There are some real problems with the old earth theory too. Like I said, flaws on both sides. There's good things, there's stuff that's easy to understand, stuff that's easy to understand on both sides, but there's also some real problems on both sides. And I know that the ones I mentioned here are by no means comprehensive, and I'm sure that there are people just sitting in their chairs going, oh, I want to say something. I want to burst forth a counter-argument. I'm sure of it. I'm so sure of it. Thank you for being quiet. We can talk about it afterwards. <laughs> so debate, 
The debate is not bad. I'm not trying to pour water on... We shouldn't ever talk about this. Debate is good. Discussion and debate promote deeper understanding and thought. But to tie this off for now, allow me to read a, part, a quote um, from Dr Brian Chappell, who's a theologian and pastor, who I read up on and he talked about this a lot. He says this, We recognise that people can differ over timing issues and still believe the Bible is entirely true. And we accept these differences without accusing one another of being unorthodox. Let us not condemn or judge one another on this. Sure, we have, have discussion. More than that, listen. Listen to the other person. Think about it. Research about it. But don't let it divide us. There are differences of opinion on this subject and there are on many others too. Please don't allow this sort of stuff to fracture the unity that we have in Christ. We need to avoid arrogant sweeping statements about this sort of stuff because the fact is experts cannot agree on this. People have spent their lives researching, debating and thinking about this, cannot nail this down, nor can they agree. And I doubt that we know something they don't. Something else to consider when thinking and debating issues like this one is a verse in 2 Timothy, uh, in, two, in chapter 2, verse 16. It says, Avoid godless chatter, because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly, and their teaching will spread like gangrene. We can argue until the cows come home. We can engage in godless chatter. We can waste a lot of time debating things that at the end of the day doesn't really matter all that much. Now I'm sure some of you are perhaps a little disappointed with my very brief sum up on this discussion, but it is not what the creation story is about. So in light of all this, I hope we can move on from here. And uh, now whether you're old earth or new, doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Old earthers won't be denied entry to heaven if they're wrong, nor will the young earthers. We are united in Christ and that is what matters. The creation story is not concerned about detailing you know, the ins and outs, all the intricacies of creation and how exactly it was done. The Bible is not a science textbook, nor should it be treated as one. We would do well to try and avoid the attitude of you know, like science versus the Bible. Instead, adopt and understand an attitude of science and the Bible. The Bible is a book about God, a book about who he is, a book about what he is like, a book about his plan of salvation through Jesus. And we already get a little glimpse of this plan of salvation in the very first chapter of the Bible. Let's look at the arrangement of creation in Genesis, uh, the arrangement of the creation account in Genesis chapter 1 much of which goes unnoticed until we do until we dig. So let's do that now. Genesis 1 is arranged in a powerful way. It shows us that God forms the earth and he wants to form you too. As Ed gave us a crash course on Genesis, as the whole book of Genesis just last week, I won't do that now. Instead, do a crash course on chapter 1. There is some incredible stuff going on in these verses. And if you're like me, uh, we can tend to walk right, right past them without noticing any of it. It is only by digging and reading the work of people far smarter than me that we can uncover some really interesting and helpful things. Like how in the first two verses, Moses describes the pre-creation as formless and empty, which as we're about to see, and if you just look out the window, 
is the complete opposite of what, is, uh, what we see at the end of the creation story. Creation is both fully formed and fully filled by the end of chapter 1. The formless, empty earth is fully formed and fully filled by God. The dead nothingness is teeming with life, and it is very good. From darkness and emptiness to light and life. Now, while I'm guessing this is not an entirely new or mind-blowing new concept for most of you, it is worth noting just how clearly Moses is trying to convey this message. Another interesting thing that I've only fairly recently learned of is the arrangement of the days. Not the length of each day, but what and when each thing was created. Broadly speaking, if we zoom out a bit, we see the first three days are forming days. God forming the earth. That's what we're going to dig into this morning. The latter three, days four, five and six, filling the earth. Now this whole idea of the arrangement of the days is explained particularly well in a commentary that I've, called, called preaching, that I've got called Preaching the Word by a legend of a man, Kent Hughes. So we're looking at the first three days of creation today. What do we see in days one to three? The formless earth is formed. To help show this a little better, please look at my sweet table that I made on the slide behind me. It's like, I'm so proud of my clip art skills. <laughs> so what do we see? We see day, four, day one and day four, four are connected. Day one, we see the creation of light. Day four, we see the sun, moon and stars that are created to rule the light. Look at days two and five. Day two, God creates the waters and the sky. What did he do on day five? He filled those waters with fish and he filled the sky with birds. Which leaves us with days three and six. What did God create on day three? He separated the water and the dry land, and created vegetation. Look then at day six. He fills this dry land with the crea- uh, on day six with uh, created animals and humans. So this is all pointing to an intentional message that is trying to be conveyed here. The structure of the six days, all corresponding to one another, is showing us the, perf- the perfection and harmony of creation. The flawless systematic orderliness of God. And it's all building to the last day. But I won't go any more into that, will I, Etienne? <laughs> day seven, you'll notice, is missing. It all points towards day seven, which we're going to hear about in a few weeks' time. Looking forward to it. God is a God of order, of formation. He did it creating the world. He will do it with you too. Think back just what, late last year, a couple of months ago, The powerful testimony shared by a bunch of young people right here. Those stories all describe God forming their lives from chaos to order, from formless to forming. God formed the earth and he'll form you too. God's perfection, his orderliness and forming nature is further shown in this passage using multiples of seven They are weaved in and through it all with particular words such as God and heavens, for example, being written in 35 and 21 times. How is that connected to seven? Shout it out. Multiples of seven, that's right. There is also the fact that in the original text, verse one, guess how many words it's got? 
7. Verse 2, guess how many words it's got? 14. Now, I wish it would continue on the whole way through like that, but it doesn't. But again, this is intentional use of the number 7. There is a whole lot of number 7 stuff in this passage, which I won't even mention now, as it gets a little overwhelming. Now, this day and age, you might be wondering, what's 7? What's the matter? What's so good about 7? It doesn't mean all that much to us now. The whole multiples of seven, that thing, it really doesn't mean anything. But it was a massive deal back then. The number seven symbolises perfection and completeness. So there is all this number seven stuff weaved throughout the entire chapter. But there is also the fact that Moses is attacking and denouncing various gods at the time with what was created on each day and seeking to, to disprove each one of them. But I won't say any more on that now. This is an awfully big rabbit hole. We're just sort of dancing across it. So there is stuff like this all throughout this particular passage. And honestly, it all can get a bit confusing and a little bit overwhelming. All of it, though, is arranged intentionally. This stuff doesn't happen by accident. It was on purpose. And it was done so to convey a message of perfection, a message of orderliness, a message of flawlessness much of which is missed by the modern-day reader. But I think what we can see today and take away from this today is that God wants this not just for his created world or just back then in Genesis 1, but he wants it for you and me too. He is still in the business of creating. He is still in the business of bringing form and order to the formless and chaotic bringing light and life to the dark and dead. Again, we very clearly heard this just a little while ago, first-hand accounts of exactly this in the testimonies that were shared. If you are a Christ follower, think of your own life. He has done it for you too, and he's still doing it for you. If you're not sure where you're at with all this, you're not sure about this whole Jesus guy and God and faith and religion and all that, ask yourself, does this sound good? A life transformed, a life from chaos to order, from formless to formed. That is what God does. Our flawless, systematically ordered God. What, what a good God we know and love. God didn't just fully form the earth and walk away. He didn't just create the world and walk away. He is still creating. He is still forming he is still giving new life and forming the lives of those who put their trust in him. So how does he do this for us? How, do, how does he form us? How does he continue to form us? How does he continue to recreate us? How do we become fully formed, fully ordered? Well, it's probably going to not sound that surprising. It's all because of a guy by the name of Jesus. It's incredibly clear in this passage and throughout the rest of the Bible that Christ is weaved in and through it all. Look at day one. Ask yourself, what was the light? Hang on, the sun and moon wasn't made till day four. What was the light? To answer this, we're going to take a warp speed journey through the Bible, all the way to the end of it, in fact, to Revelation. Chapter 21, the very, very end of the Bible we see, uh, we see in Revelation 21 the description of, the, of, of heaven, the new garden of Eden. 
What is the light there? Revelation actually tells us pretty clearly there will be no sun, no moon, no stars, but the light will be Christ himself. Jesus also said it himself in the Gospels. He called himself the light of the world. In saying this, Jesus is declaring that he is the light of Genesis 1 and Revelation 21. Christ was the light in Eden and he will be the light in heaven. Christ is the light. He is also the creator. Now I suspect a bunch of you are familiar with John chapter 1. I know at least our brand new uh, year 12 small groups certainly are as they've been looking at exploring John's gospel just last week. John chapter 1 verses 1 to 4 says this. In the beginning was the word. Word is code name for Jesus. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made that have been made. In him was life and that life was the light. There's another light reference, by the way, of all mankind. John explicitly teaches that Jesus was there at the beginning. Nothing was made without Christ. Jesus was and is the beginning of everything. Jesus is the light that lights the darkness. Jesus is the creator that brings form to the formless, order to the chaotic. He did it in the beginning of creation. He's still doing it today. He formed the earth and he wants to form you too. To wrap up today and to wrap up part one of this little creation sermon, let me sum up what we talked about today. God created the world. In six days, six millennia, it doesn't matter. Days one to three, he formed it, moulded it, sculpted it. And then, spoiler alert, days four to six, he filled it. There is also immense complexity and depth in the way that this passage has been arranged. We see Christ weaved in in all of it, all of it too. He is the light. He is the creator. He brings order. Now, another, another commentator wraps up this part of the Bible by saying this. I think I've put it on. Yep. The grand point is that Christ is the light. Christ the creator who brings order out of the dark chaos of our lives. Who brings form to the chaos of our lives. If your life is dark and desolate, if your life is out of control, if there is no light in your life but only darkness, and if there seems to be no hope, there is, there absolutely is. The creation story in the whole Bible actually points us to Jesus Christ. He's on the very first page and on every page thereafter. From the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's plan of salvation through Jesus. He was there. He was the light. He is the creator. He is the saviour. Just as he shaped and formed the earth, he wants to shape and form your life. Just as he created the earth, he wants to recreate your life. Whether you are brand new to God and faith or you've heard this a thousand times before, this is great news. It is such great news. The king of the universe, the creator, sustainer of life, he loves you and seeks to form you, to fully form your life. He will begin it now and he'll continue to form you every day you walk on this earth with him. This is who he is and this is what he does. Let him do it for you. 
for the first time ever or for the thousandth. A life being formed by God is available to you through Christ. Take him up on the offer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we wrap up our time together, we are humbled by the depth of your wisdom and the beauty of your design in creation. Thank you for the opportunity to delve into your word and discover or rediscover the truths it holds. You are the ultimate creator and your power and majesty are beyond comprehension. Lord, we acknowledge the difficulties of interpreting the creation story and the differing perspectives that exist among your people. Help us approach these discussions with humility, grace and a listening ear, seeking unity in our faith in you rather than division over secondary matters. Thanks that Christ is the light, the creator and the saviour. We are filled with awe and wonder. Thank you for your gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who brings form to our formlessness, order to our chaos and light to our darkness. May what we've explored today deeply resonate within our hearts and minds, shaping our understanding of who you are and how you work in our lives. Empower us, Lord, to live as reflections of your love and grace in a world that desperately needs your light. May your presence go with us this week, guiding our steps and lighting our paths. May we carry the message of your creation and your redemptive plan through Jesus Christ, all that we meet. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, we're just about done here. One thing remains. Who's got some Play-Doh creations I want to show off? All right, come on up if you've got one. You're going to have to cap it probably. I can't have 100 kids. What have you got here, mate? Yeah. Oh, wow. Can everyone see that? Hold it up nice and high. He made, he made the world. That is very cool. Very cool. Sorry, a bit snowy. I've got another one. You can sit back down now. What have you made, Brookie? A lion, a little baby lion, a big palm tree, and a little palm tree. Okay. And a, a what? A hedgehog. So she made a lion, a little baby lion, some palm trees, and a hedgehog, of course. So that's there. I don't dare tip it up too much in case it falls over. Very good, Brooke. Yes, Abby, what have you made? A bunny. Wow, can I just hold this up so everyone can see? This is Abby's little bunny and some other bits and pieces. Looks like some carrots and some food bowls. That's very cool. Thank you, Abby. Nate, and we've got Marty after that. This is Tiny Creatures and Ants. Pardon? Tiny creatures and ants. Oh, tiny creatures and ants. He's got lots of little different things on there. Very cool. Thanks, mate. Oh, my. What is that, Marty? Big voice. Stingray. Very cool. So Marty's made a stingray. Very cool. Have we got any more from young or old? Oh, what have you done, David? A tree. A tree? Oh, wow, yeah. That's his tree, everyone. Very well done, David. Thank you. Oh, let's do another. Sorry. Is there anyone other than the Sykes family and, and a few others? <laughs> what have you made, Jazz? Big a voice. Blue a blue koala. <laughs> There's something seriously wrong if you find a blue koala. But no, that's good, Jazz. Thanks. Cool. Last call. That's it. All right. So, as this is part one of two on this passage, I'm going to leave perhaps the most mind-blowing bit until next week. So Jesus not only wants to form us, but he wants to fill us too. What does that mean? He isn't just going to shape your lump of Play-Doh into a nice bowl. He'll decorate it. He'll give it beauty. And he'll fill it with good stuff too. 
But that's next week, so I won't say anything more for that now. Let's uh, join together in song, I believe. And as we do so, I think we'll probably stand. So thanks, Musos.